But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears, uh, sorry, so whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by Uh, him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for these challenging words from our Lord We pray for your Holy Spirit to come and guide us into this wisdom that you would help us to turn in faith, to receive your grace, to enter your kingdom, to guard us against the errors that we read about here. And so, Lord, we need you to be our teacher now. So we open our hearts and minds. Give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage we're studying today addresses one of the most fundamental, foundational convictions about our church and about our life together. And that conviction is that there are two ways, basically, that you can approach your relationship to God. And we, uh, we call those two ways religion and the gospel. What I mean by that is religion says this, that if you are good enough, if you pray enough, if you read the Bible enough, if you go to church enough, if you serve enough, if you have a good enough family, then God will love you and delight in you. If you obey, then God loves you. That's religion. The gospel inverts the formula and says that while we were still sinners, while we are still sinners, 
Christ died for us. God loved us perfectly in Jesus. He forgave our sins. He clothed us in righteousness. He adopted us as his beloved children, filled us with his spirit. And, and this was not based on anything that we had done of ourselves. This was simply a gift. And once we've received such undeserved love, then we want to obey. So you see, religion says, if you obey, then God loves you. The gospel says, God has loved us perfectly in Christ, therefore, we want to obey. Now, this distinction is very subtle, because you know, most of us as Christians have both of these principles kind of operating in us at different times. You know, sometimes we're kind of operating under religion, trying to earn God's approval. Sometimes we're operating under the gospel. We really are responding to God's grace and love. And... Um, and it's very difficult to tell the difference between a gospel person and a religious person because they do so many of the same things, right? A gospel person and a religious person, they both go to church every week. They both read their Bibles. They both pray. You know, they're both involved in a home group. They're both serving. They both talk about God all the time. And so on the service, you know, they look very similar. And it, the difference is so subtle that you might wonder, is this just kind of splitting hairs, this distinction between religion and the gospel? You know, how serious is this distinction? Well, this passage is probably the most important of Jesus' teaching against what I've just called religion. And in this passage, Jesus gives seven prophetic woes to this. Actually, we're just looking at the first six of the seven. We'll look at the seventh next week. But seven prophetic woes against the, the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes are kind of like the, you know, the Bible... Uh, the Bible scholars and the Pharisees are those who are the most kind of religious and uh, uh, dutiful in doing their, their uh, religious activities. And it's, I'll just tell you, it's very alarming as a, a church community to read these woes and find out that it is religious people, according to Jesus, it is religious people who have the potential to be the closest to hell of anyone in the world. It is religious people who have the potential to be the closest to hell of anyone in the world. When Jesus talks about hell, it's in passages like this, and this is what he says in verse 15. You saw that there. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of, as, of hell as yourselves. The children of hell are religious people. That's shocking. And why is the evil of religion such a big deal to Jesus? And how can we as a community and in our individual hearts guard against it? And so we're going to answer that question. We're going to talk about religion this morning. And in particular, in this passage, we're going to make three observations about religion and the gospel. The first is, that you can't welcome, you can't welcome others, you can't be a welcoming person into God's kingdom unless you yourself have been welcomed. You can't open the doors of God's kingdom to others and welcome them in unless you have experienced the welcome of God yourself personally. That's the first thing. You can't welcome unless you've been welcomed. Second, you can't judge unless you have been judged. Unless God's judgment has come upon you if, as a religious person, if you think it's your good works that merit God's approval, your moral judgments are going to be all out of whack, and we see that in this passage. And then the third thing is you can't change unless you've been changed. 
to experience deep transformation in your life, it is something that God must do in us as a gift of grace. And so these are the three things we're going to look at this morning as we kind of understand the psychology of a religious approach to God. So, first, you can't welcome others unless you've been welcomed yourself. And, you know, Jesus says, you look at the opening woe that Jesus gives to the scribes and Pharisees, and, you know, when he's kind of diagnosing their problem. What's so wrong, bad about the scribes and Pharisees? This is what he says in verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go, enter to go in. The first Thing that Jesus says is the problem for the religious is they've not come in to God's kingdom. It's open to them. Um, but, you know, Jesus is very clear. He did not come to save the righteous, but he came to save who? He came to save sinners. And unless you're a sinner, you can't enter into the kingdom. That's who he came to open the doors to, is the sinners. That's why, you know, when Jesus goes around and he's having his table fellowship, who's he eating with? He's eating with the, you know, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, this big announcement to the world that the kingdom is open to sinners. And unless you know that that's who you are, that you're lost, that, you know, you're lost without God, you don't know how, you don't have control over your own heart or your own life or your actions, unless you realize how lost you are, you actually can't enter into the kingdom. And uh, so for the scribes and Pharisees, their biggest obstacle to knowing God and his grace is their religion. That's a shocking thing. The biggest obstacle to you knowing God and his grace could be your religious life. It would never even occur to us that things like going to church and reading the Bible and talking about God and serving could be the biggest hindrance to keeping me from experiencing God's grace. And, you know, there's this great song that I've been listening to this past year by Nathan Partain. Nathan Partain, we, actually, that song we sang earlier, The Lord is King, that's a Nathan Partain song, and he has a new album out called Jaywalkers. If you need a new album, it's great. It's really good. But he has a song on there called I Am One of Those. And the, the beginning of the song, he starts off, he says, I'm one of those who's at God's table, who's been brought into his kingdom, and I really don't belong here. I don't know the etiquette. But the only reason I'm here is because Jesus called me, so I came. I just, you know, there's no other reason why I fit here. And he goes through the song, and he says, you know, I'm one of those who was deformed, and Jesus loved me, and he healed me, and he welcomed me in. And he says, I'm one of those who was, uh, you know, in prison, and Jesus set me free. As he's talking about all these things that, you know, kind of make us unwanted or ugly and how Jesus overcame those obstacles to, to bring us into his kingdom. And then this is the last verse. He gets down to the most ugly aspect of his person that Jesus had to overcome, and this is how he describes it. I am one of those who is hard to love and ugly, self-righteous Critical religion was my stain. It's powerful. His stain, the thing that had stained his character was his religion. Self-righteous, critical religion was my stain. So I ran to Christ to wash and be discovered. Jesus came to me and covered up my shame. He says the thing that he should be the most deeply ashamed of 
the hardest thing for Jesus to overcome was his self-righteous, critical, religious life. And um, what this tells us is that you will not be a person who welcomes sinners into the kingdom of God unless you are a sinner who has been welcomed in, who has received that grace. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the reason they didn't receive it, the reason they wouldn't become a sinner and realize they're a sinner so that they could receive God's grace is because they had, it was too undignified for them. You know, Jesus was too undignified for them. And, you know, for some of you, you know, the biggest thing that you may need to repent of in your life, that we may need to repent of in our life, is our religion. Because we're so insistent, I want to be a respected person. I want to be a dignified person. I want to be someone that people look to and say, you know, you have it together. You've figured it out. You obey God. You are a godly person. And that's who I want to be. I don't want to be a sinner. And, and until we can let down that dignity... Um, we are going to be trapped in what Jesus is warning us of here. And, you know, it's so tragic because Jesus, uh, because Jesus says, um, if you don't let Jesus welcome, welcome you into his kingdom freely, you're, you're actually going to shut other people out. You're going to make it very difficult for people to come to Christ. It's going to be so hard for them. And actually, you know, I was talking with one of our elders, Chris Van Hoffigan, this week about this passage. And he said, you know, it's not only that you shut people out, you make it difficult for them to come to Jesus, but you actually repel them. You know, the religious life is like something people run from. They're like, there is, you know, some of you maybe have met Christians like that. And you're like, if that's what Christianity is like, I'm not going anywhere near it. I, there's, I, I, there's no chance I will ever become a Christian because I don't want to become like that kind of person, the self-righteous, critical, religious person, and, uh, because it is so unattractive. And so you see why this subtlety of religion versus the gospel, two ways of approaching God, was so important. It's such a big deal to Jesus because it was so near the heart of his whole kingdom project. Unless you've experienced his reckless grace to welcome such sinners as us into his kingdom, you're not going to extend that reckless grace to others. So, you, uh, the first thing about religion is you can't welcome unless you've been welcomed. But, you know, one of the common objections to the gospel, maybe you've thought this or said this, you say, you know, okay, you're saying that the gospel says that God loves sinners, not based on anything they do. It's just free grace. And he forgives all their sins, and he clothes them in Jesus' righteousness, and he adopts them as their children, and it's just a free gift. You know, if you give that kind of gift, you know what people are going to do? They're just going to say, well, I'm forgiven, and I'm going to go live my life, and I'm going to go sin, I'm going to sin, and God will forgive me. I got it covered. Now, if someone says that, that's an that's a indication they obviously don't understand the gospel. When you understand the weight of your sin and that Jesus had to die to pay for your sin, you don't, you don't just go on sinning lightly. You've died to sin. You, you're, you're set free from it. But what we find out in this passage is that the gospel actually takes sin far more seriously than religion does. Because, you know, most of us think that it's religious people who feel the weight of sin and they think they take sin very seriously but um if you're secure in god's love for you you know that your love you know that your your salvation is secure you can't lose god's love you don't have to perform for god then all of a sudden you're secure enough to look honestly at your own life and your own heart and you can really look seriously at your sin but if you think you have to prove something to god you are going to be in denial about the reality of your sin 
you're going to minimize your sin, and you're going to only look at the good works that you think make you righteous. Those are the, you're going to spend all your time looking at the things that you're good at. And so this is the second thing. Is the, first, the first point is that you can't welcome unless you've been welcomed. The second thing is you can't judge unless you've been judged. Religion puts our moral judgments all out of whack. And, you know, I read that passage, verses 16 to 22. Jesus talks about, you know, the, how they would, uh, the scribes and Pharisees would make, they had these rules about making oaths. And they say, you know, well, if you make the oath by the temple, that doesn't count. But if you make the oath by the gold in the temple, then, you know, that does count. And, you know, they're getting into all these details about how you make oaths. And Jesus is saying, how about just something about, like, integrity? Like, just keep your word. Let your yes be yes. Like, you know, this isn't anything about the heart. But what he's saying is that the religious person often has this meticulous concern for details that often grows to the point of being ridiculous. And you see it here, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now what Jesus is saying here is talking about some of the commands from the Old Testament. One in particular was the command to tithe, which in the Old Testament it said that, uh, that all of God's people were to take a tenth of their produce and they were supposed to provide for the needs of the priests who, you know, served the Lord and who were their teachers. And so these scribes and Pharisees, you know, they took that command very seriously. They said, you know, not just our produce, but we're going to go into our herb garden and we're going to get, you know, the mint and cumin. We're going to make sure we get a tenth of the mint leaves and give those to the priests as well. And, you know, by the way, I, one thing that I did see in this passage I never realized before, you know, some of you maybe have thought before, you know, I know that tithing was commanded in the Old Testament, but I don't know if it's ever repeated in the New Testament. And I actually, I wasn't sure that it had, was repeated in the New Testament until this week, I realized in this passage, Jesus says, you know what, the scribes and Pharisees, actually they were right. They, you should be tithing. But there are other places in the Old Testament that speak of weightier matters of the law. There are weightier matters. And he describes them as these three things, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, which he's probably alluding to one kind of famous summary in the Old Testament. It comes from Micah 6.8. This is what Micah 6.8 says. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's, those are the weightier matters of the law. And Jesus says, you know, the religious people have given all this meticulous attention to oaths and to tithing, but have you given all this attention to these weightier matters of justice and mercy, you know, like caring for the, those who are oppressed and, the, you know, the downtrodden, the weak, showing mercy, building up those people who, who need to be encouraged by God's mercy, or faithfulness, you know, a deep love for God and walking with God in a relationship with him? Have you given much attention to these weightier matters? And they've ignored those. Because they give all the, their attention to the meticulous detail. And, you know, some of you, you know, may know that feeling. You know, you walk into a church, and you say, you know, these people are very serious about the Bible. They're very knowledgeable. They're, these people are very dedicated to their religious life. But there's no mercy here. I can sense it. 
There's no justice. There's no building up the weak and defending the weak. There's no faithfulness, you know, real heart, love, you know, affection for God. It's just not here. How can that happen? I mean, how can a community spend so much time talking about the Bible, reading the Bible, and then miss the weightier matters of the law, the really heart of what it's all about? And, uh, well, Jesus says here that the religious, the first thing that they've neglected is justice. And that word there, justice, you know, that could be translated as judgment or condemnation. And you might say, you know, what is he talking about? Religious people, they are the best at judgment and condemnation of anyone. How can you say they've neglected that? That's what they spend all their time doing is judging and condemning other people. But I think what he means is that they have not really let the weightiness of God's law judge their own hearts. They have not been humbled by how proud and faithless and controlling and self-absorbed they are. They have not carefully considered how does my heart stand up to the weightier matters of God's law? I'll tell you what would have happened if they had, you know, put themselves under the scrutiny of God's law, what would have happened is, first of all, it would have humbled them deeply. And they would have said, oh my goodness, I don't come anywhere near coming close to fulfilling God's law. And they would have run into Jesus' kingdom. You're like, Jesus is welcoming the sinners. I'm going to run in. And they didn't do that. So it didn't humble them. But also, if they'd been humbled by God's law, there's no way that they would have looked down upon anyone else. When you've been humbled by God's law and you see how far I am from the weightier matters of the law, you're so slow. How could I look down on anyone? And how could anyone who walked through these doors, no matter what problem they have in their life, how could I ever think that I was better than them? Because I've been deeply humbled by what God has said in his word. If you have not been judged by God's law, you will always make certain things more important than they should be. See what they did? They made tithing mint this high priority for them. And the reason for that is because tithing mint and, you know, cumin and thyme and things like that is something that you can really calculate. You know, I know that I gave a tenth of the mint leaves, and so that was what was demanded of me, and I'm sure that I did it, and now I can be positive that I'm in God's favor. And I can, I can compare myself, how many mint leaves have I given to the other people? So when my confidence before God is in my good works, I will put extra importance on the good works that I do well. I'm always going to be prizing the things that I do well. So for example, you know, if you're really into theology, you know, you read a lot. I'm into theology. I read a lot. And, you know, you're good at reading. You're good at thinking and stuff. You're going to say, you know, the most important thing in a church or in a Christian life is theology. And, you know, people who aren't getting their theology nailed down, they're... They're, I mean, they may be Christians, but they're not really living up to what they should be, you know, because theology is the most important thing. Or maybe, you know, you're really good at caring for the poor. You know, you get out in the community and you really give to, to those who are in need and you, you know, care for the homeless. You're going to say, well, that's the thing that I do, and so I'm going to prize that. I'm going to look down on anyone else who doesn't do the thing that I think is the most important. Or, you know, maybe you come to worship, and when you sing, and you, you, know, you connect with God, and you have these emotional encounters where you just adore God, and you say, you know, worship, that emotional experience, that's what's really the important thing. And if people aren't doing that, they're not really living a full Christian life. In religion, we give disproportionate weight to the things that we do well, and sometimes we give disproportionate weight to things that really aren't that important. And, uh, you know, I actually, I went to a church many years ago uh, for a year or so. It was, it, was, it was a great church. I actually learned quite a lot there. But during the time that I was there, I was there for about a year. And during that year, 
the major debate among the elders during their meetings, this is hours and hours of debate, was what kind of bread should be used during communion. Was it leavened bread or unleavened bread? Not a bad question. I think it's okay to think about it. It's interesting. What kind of bread? You know, the theology of bread. Sure, get into that. But, you know, that's not the weightier things of the kingdom. The kingdom is about... You know, we're preaching the gospel to those who don't know Christ. And we're, you know, um, we're going out and, and caring for those who are in need. And we're making the disciples of the people that are brought in so they grow in their faith. These are the weightier things. This is what we should be spending our time talking about and thinking in detail about and being creative about. And there's a disproportion there. And what had happened was the priorities of God's kingdom had been lost. They were straining out gnats, as Jesus puts it, and swallowing camels. And this is what I mean by you won't be able to judge well. You won't be able to make moral judgments well unless uh, you won't be able to make judgments about what is justice, mercy, and faithfulness unless you have let yourself be scrutinized by the law of God and be humbled by it. And only the gospel gives you the security to let that happen. It's only when you know that you are loved perfectly in Jesus will you let your heart be analyzed scrutinize. Only then can you say to God, examine me and show me, is there any grievous way in me? And it's when you've done that that you really actually become very wise in your judgments, in your, your kind of moral judgments, okay? So what we see so far is that religion, what we've learned about religion is you can't welcome people unless you yourself have been welcomed. And you can't judge unless you yourself have been judged. But there's a third thing that we see in this passage that's related that you can't change unless you have been changed. You can't just change your life, your behavior on the outside, unless you have been transformed on the inside. And these are some very powerful words from our Lord. Look at what he says in verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, and uh, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. These are just very powerful images. You know, you are whitewashed tombs. You're tombs that are beautiful on the outside and full of death on the inside. I mean, it's a powerful image of a religious person. And in these verses, Jesus highlights the obsession that religious people have with keeping up appearances, always appearing righteous to the community, to the church, to the neighbors, to everyone. I've got to keep up those appearances. And what I think is so fascinating about these verses is that Jesus says that religious people are full of greed and self-indulgence. Which he's saying that actually the, the, the people that are the most worldly, the people that, who follow the desires of their flesh the most, are people who are most meticulous about their religious observance. That, I mean, who's ever said that before? I mean, I, I don't even th I think I ever, ever thought of that. I mean, none of us would think of that. And often that's, that's just not how we judge people. But Jesus is saying it's possible that you could be a totally worldly person and your whole life is about the Bible and about God. And the reason for this is because religion cannot change you. 
If someone says to you, be good, read the Bible, obey God, be faithful, do justice, do mercy, do all these things, and if you do all these things, God will be pleased with you. That person may change some of the activities. Their life may become filled with more religious activities. But that kind of statement does not transform your character, your inner life, how you think, how you feel, how you relate to God, how you, you know, your intentions, your motivations, your desires. It doesn't affect you on the deep inner part of who you are. You could still have totally self-absorbed desires that are just covered with religiousness. And so if religion can't change you, what can? This is the good news. Because what are these images? You know, the first one is of a cup, the dirty cup. What's the only thing that can cleanse us and wash us? The Bible says it is the blood of Jesus on the cross is the only thing that can wash us, that is given to sinners as a gift, that we receive. Jesus, wash me. Or the other image of your tombs filled with dead men's bones. What is the only thing that has the power to raise dead men's bones? It's the resurrection power that's in Jesus. They can breathe new life into sinners. And it's a gift. It's not something we work for. It's not something we prove ourselves for. It is something we receive by faith as a gift from Christ. You can't have a true, changed external life until you first have a changed internal life. And that internal life will never come from religion. It will only come from the good news of the gospel that brings joy, love, humility, gratitude, all these things. It actually changes your desires. So this is the biggest principle about our life together as a church. What kind of church are we going to be? What kind of community are we going to be? Are we going to be a religious community? Are we going to be a gospel community? Who are we going to be as individuals? How are you approaching God? Will you accept the indignity that we can only come to him as sinners and be welcomed into his kingdom as sinners? And so the call of this passage today is is to not be the scribes and Pharisees who have too much dignity to receive God's grace and enter his kingdom, but to be the prostitutes and tax collectors who have come to really love God because he first loved them. Let's pray together.